BP Nation, what is up, guys? We are back on the podcast, and today I'm incredibly excited to share this conversation. Today, Ash and I are sitting down to discuss hypertrophy. What is hypertrophy? It's the gains, bro. It's the hashtag gains. It's the muscle growth. It's the improvements in aesthetic and physique that so many of you are searching for. And unfortunately, in the industry at large, there is a lot of misinformation and just a lot of bullshit out there. So we are going to sift, sift through all of that, and I am going to bring you the actual evidence and tell you what the research suggests so that not only could you validate your current program, but you can also have an understanding of what you need to look for in future programs or your next program. And so we're going to walk through all of that today. Just as a disclaimer, I'm not going to cite every single source that we utilized during this research. If you want the evidence, if you want to see the research papers in your hands or on your screen, you can go on PubMed. You can go on all these dif different research platforms and look at them yourself, or you can pick up a copy of the Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy. It's the second edition. It's written by Brad Schoenfeld. It is a comprehensive compilation of all things hypertrophy. So that's your go-to resource there if you feel like citing my sources and trying to call me out. It is based on the evidence. We are coming at you hot today with a lot of information. So sit back, relax, get ready to take some notes, and let's get into the conversation. All right, everybody, welcome back to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is episode number 85, and we are going to put this episode into hyperdrive because Ash is getting hangry, and we do not want to wake <laughs> the beast. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of kidding, but not really, but we are What back. are we talking about today? Look at that. She's pushing <laughs> me right into the topic. So I'm just kidding. Guys, we are back. It is episode number 85, and today we are talking about hypertrophy we're talking about hashtag gains oh i'm Muscle excited for growth. this one. Oh yeah so we're gonna dive into it and the reason i wanted to talk about this is i feel like there's a lot of gym science out there aka bro science about what works what generates the most results or the most hashtag gains what is going to help you build muscle most effectively and a lot of it's complete bullshit a lot of it is methods and concepts that people have made up inside the gym that have no research to support those concepts and methods. Now, that doesn't mean they're not working, right? You don't have to necessarily have research to say, hey, this method worked for me and my clients or worked for just my clients. That's completely possible. But what I wanted to do is come on and give you an actual breakdown of what the current research suggests. And then from there, you can, you know, be an adult because you're, you're all grown-ass human beings and make decisions on what seems to be in line with what the research suggests and make your own call as to whether it's valid or not. And you can always reach out to us with questions as well. It uh, might help people, like, validate their current program, too. Yeah, very well could. You might hear some of this and think, well, hell, I don't do any of that. I need yeah, a new program. Like, oh, no. Or... <laughs> okay, that sounds like I'm on track. So we're going to dive into it. There's no updates today, no life updates, no ballistic updates, because here's the deal. We're five weeks ahead on the podcast. We have literally just been fucking crushing all things ballistic to get ahead for the wedding, for the honeymoon. So there's nothing to catch you up on. <laughs> but 
with the actual conversation itself, a lot of the evidence that we're going to be talking about today, it comes from all kinds of research papers, but you don't have to go through and sift through all that information. A great resource if you're a you know exercise nerd and you want to dive into the details is a book called The Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy. It's written by Dr. Brad Schoenfeld. He is like a world-renowned expert on muscle hypertrophy. It is filled with research studies, meta-analyses, and everything you need to condense all of that information into simple, practical uh, points that you can apply to your training. So don't go around and try to get on PubMed and all these research platforms if you're super into the science and you want to nerd out. Just order this book. It's on Amazon. Get the second edition. It's brand new. It's amazing. And that's a great resource for you. So let's dive into the conversation. So the first thing is let's define muscle hypertrophy or let's define hypertrophy. And so hypertrophy is simply, you know, muscle growth. It's an increase in the size of the muscle or the cross-sectional area uh, of the the muscle itself or the number of myofibrils. So we'll get into what that means here in a second. But so there's really two types of hypertrophy. There's hypertrophy within the muscle itself, the cross-sectional area of the fibers. And then there's hypertrophy that occurs in the number of myofibrils, which are individual muscle cells. Now the second one, the latter, that doesn't occur as often. It used to actually be t called in a lot of textbooks hyperlasia, and it's extremely difficult to achieve. It is possible, but typically what we're talking about when we're talking about hypertrophy is an increase in the cross-sectional area of the muscle, so an increase in the actual size of the muscle itself. So hyperplasia is no longer a thing? I don't want to say it's no longer a thing, but it it came up very rarely in the research that I did leading huh. up to this. It it seems now, because when we were in school, hyperlasia was a thing. Yeah. Or is it hyperplasia? Am I saying I it wrong? I think it's hyperplasia. Okay, but whichever one it was. I'm, I'm an idiot for saying the wrong word if that was the case. Um, that was really big in the textbooks when we were in school. That mm -hmm. was like the thing. You either had hypertrophy or hyperplasia. Mm -hmm. Now I want to know which one is the, the correct way to say it. Look that up as we're, <laughs> as we're chatting. But anyway... Now, what you see in a lot of the research papers is just talking about hypertrophy and breaking it into one or the other, an increase in cross-sectional area or an increase in the number of myofibrils. What do we got over there on the research? Hyperplasia is the enlargement of an organ or tissue caused by an increase in the reproduction rate of its cells. There you go. So that's what we're looking at, hyperplasia. So that's hypertrophy, what we're talking about, increase in cross-sectional uh, area. Now... Hypertrophy, just to some quick tip or some quick facts here, does occur in both type one and type two fibers, uh, but it occurs in a greater extent in those type two fibers. So that's just something to note. Type two meaning they're the fast twitch fibers, so not the more endurance based fibers of the type one, um, and that's why you see hypertrophy occurring in you know that type of training in weight lifting in resistance training. It's not occurring in endurance training, like aerobic capacity training, if that makes sense. Are you tracking me there, Ash? Yeah. Okay, I wanted to make sure I'm making sense for everybody else too. Uh, and now, the, there's three main factors that influence hypertrophy or that induce a hypertrophic response, right? So the first one is mechanical tension. Think of mechanical tension as 
the amount of time you're under the weight and how hard the musculature is working while under load. That's uh, a very generic way, or I don't want to say generic, like rudimentary way to explain it. The second is muscle damage, like metabolic damage or physiological damage to the muscle fiber itself. This is where when you hear people talk about like breaking down muscle fiber and building it up, that's what that is. And then the last one is metabolic stress. So what happens in like the chemical, in the chemistry of your muscle cells while resistance training that creates that hypertrophic response. A good way to think about that or another way to think about that is you know, like the pump everybody talks about, right? When you do a lot of repetitions and you start to feel the blood, uh, like engorge your muscles. Yeah. Along with that, there's all kinds of chemical responses that are occurring and that's part of the metabolic stress. So okay. those are the three main factors that influence or induce a hypertrophic response. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Were you going to ask a question? I thought you well, were Well, I was going to ask, so like what are the benefits of muscular hypertrophy great question um so really the the primary benefits number one there's a strong correlation the research has shown a strong correlation this makes perfect sense right in the cross-sectional area of a muscle and muscular strength right so the more muscle mass you have the stronger you tend to be now can you get stronger my thighs are so big (laughs) (laughs) that's all you got redwoods for legs Uh, Now, you can get stronger without increasing cross-sectional area, absolutely, but there's a correlation between cross-sectional area of your muscle and muscular strength, which I think most people can say, yes, that makes sense. Yes. Uh, Now, along with that, in addition to greater strength, right, having greater potential for strength, engaging in resistance training and inducing muscular hypertrophy has a positive effect on body comp, right? If you have more lean tissue, more fat-free mass, it's going to elevate things such as your basal metabolic rate or your your resting metabolic rate. It's going to improve like your total energy expenditure throughout the, like your TEE. And so those things are going to increase due to increases in fat-free mass. And so that's a positive. That essentially means muscle is a more expensive tissue or you're going to burn more calories throughout the day because you have more lean tissue on your body. Yes. And people like rewind what Derek just said, because I cannot tell you how many times people start working with us and their goal is weight loss or fat loss. And they're like, I think I need to do more cardio. No, you need to add resistance training into your life. Yeah. And what you just said is exactly why. So let me, let me spit it back. Let me let me take it back for everybody. Guys, in case you missed it, resistance training and muscle hypertrophy have a positive effect on your body composition because it addresses or tackles two out of the three factors that comprise energy expenditure. Right? So it increases your resting metabolic rate. It likely increases your physical activity throughout the day because you're you're fitter and you're able to be more functional and it also has an impact or excuse me and then the third one that's not affected would be like the thermic effect of food right so resistance training and hypertrophy address those first two resting metabolic rate and physical activity and so literally two out of three ain't bad you're impacting two out of the three factors that lead to 
increased energy expenditure throughout the day or a higher quote-unquote caloric burn throughout the day. Absolutely. Boom. Uh, now, moving on from that, I figured we could kind of break this down into, I think, what most people think of when you're talking about hypertrophy. Well, before that, I like the bullet point that you did not mention. I think that's a really, really cool, again, just factor of like why resistance training is important. Oh, I didn't even realize I had missed a bullet point. Go ahead and spit it out. So resistance training causes an increased energy expenditure, not only during exercise, but in the 24 to 48 hours following activity. Mm. And then additionally, fat-free mass accounts for approximately 65 to 70% of an individual's resting metabolic rate, or RMR. And increasing an individual's muscle mass results in an increased RMR. Exactly. Right? I literally, I'm glad you brought that up because I missed that bullet completely. But it's following and it ties into exactly what I just said prior mm -hmm. to you reading that off, right? Is that resistance training is going to increase your energy expenditure for 24 to 48 hours post-training. In other words... Cardio doesn't do that. Right. High-intensity cardio can produce that response yes. when you get into excess post-oxygen... Or, yeah. Epoch. Epoch, correct. So it can occur, but it doesn't happen as frequently because you have to train at much higher intensities to achieve that. Whereas... And also, it's not developing muscle... Hyper, or inducing muscle hypertrophy mm -hmm. so you're not getting those same types of effects mm -hmm. right that that the additional caloric expenditure that you're getting from epoch is not due to greater resting metabolic rate it's due to that excessive oxygen consumption post training mm -hmm. your body is literally still trying to recover and adapt from that session and so that's causing additional energy expenditure yeah Love it. Okay, now we'll get into the basics, what everybody wants to know, what all of you who are listening want to know when it comes to hypertrophy. Like, how many sets do I need to do? How many reps? You know, what, what kind of training program? Bigger? How do I get the hashtag gains? <laughs> so we'll walk through this together uh, and give you exactly what you need to either validate the current training program you have or realize, okay, I'm not training in a way that's conducive to this goal of improving my physique through muscle gain. So uh, what's the first one we've got there? What is the ideal number of sets? Great question. So ideal number of sets. According to the research that's out there, based on all of these meta-analyses, you're looking at, I'm not going to give you a number of sets per day, Instead, I'm going to give you a total number of sets per week because that's what a lot of the research refers to. And so for that, if you're trying to achieve muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth, you're looking to complete between 10 and 20 sets per muscle group per week. So again, that's per week, not per training session. So you can divide that up however frequent your training sessions are. If you're training a specific muscle group twice per week, you need to do five sets in each of those sessions to hit that 10 set minimum. Now, if you're more experienced, you have a greater training age and maybe you're, you're used to training at higher intensities or if you're just a poor responder, you might have to do more 15 or 20 sets per exercise, or excuse me, per muscle group per week. So start on the low end and then you can work your way progressively towards those higher volume sets, that 20 sets per week. But that's what you're looking at. Now, 
when I just talked about progressing there, a, an easy periodized approach you could take is, okay, on month one, my first four weeks of my program, it's going to be 10 sets per muscle group per week. Month two, I'm going to do 15 sets per muscle group per week. And then month three, maybe I'll do 20 sets per muscle group per week. And then I'll repeat that process. So it's like a, almost an undulating periodization to where I'm ramping up and then I'm taking that deload week, coming back down, and then I'm ramping up again. And I'm just following that periodized model to achieve those greater sets, that higher volume. Does that make sense? Yes. Love it. Okay, so we covered sets. What's the next thing on the list? So what's the ideal number of reps then? Another fantastic question. I think this is one that everybody loves to talk about because they claim to have found the best rep range for gains, the best rep range to grow your biceps or your triceps, all the glam muscles, right? And so with the ideal number of sets, what they found in the research is that it's actually just, uh, what's the right word that I'm looking for? inconclusive right? because the research isn't showing one specific rep range per se growth can actually be achieved across a wide number of reps across the, the entire spectrum really all the way up to 30 reps per set so the research is kind of all over the board however that said there is some merit they found in some of these these research studies that the, that 6 to 12 rep range, the rep range that a lot of people think of when they think of muscle hypertrophy, is still effective. It may not be you know, the king of all rep ranges, but there is some merit to incorporating that into your training. Our recommendation is to include various rep ranges throughout your training cycle to induce this growth. So if you, all, if you only spend time in the six to, 6 to 10 rep range, let's say, well, eventually your body's going to adapt to that and you're not going to get a response, even if you're increasing load. It's just not going to happen. So wherever you spend the most time, whatever rep range you spend the most time in, maybe it's five reps, maybe it's six to 10, maybe it's 12 to 15 plus, whatever one you're not in is the one that's going to produce the best adaptations for you. We did an Instagram post on this not long ago. So find the rep range you don't spend a lot of time in and go tackle that for six to eight weeks and then come back to your bread and butter. And that's going to lead to growth across the lifetime of, of your training cycle. Okay. That makes sense. Love it. So then with the, the sets and reps, what's like the ideal intensity? Yeah. So with intensity, um, we're going to, I'm not going to give you a percentage, right? Because number one, there's not a lot of that in the research as it applies to hypertrophy. Yes, you can find that 67 to 85%. I think you'll see that in most NSCA textbooks and some, some other textbooks as well as a percentage. But here's the deal. When we're talking about hypertrophy, we're not always talking about movements that you're going to have a one rep max in or have ever tested even a three or a five rep max. You don't have a one rep bicep curl? I don't. <laughs> I, w I would love to know, but I would probably tear a bicep trying to figure it out. There's a reason you don't test those one reps, right? They're dangerous on single joint exercises. So <laughs> when you're talking about hypertrophy-based programs that likely have some ISO or some, excuse me, single joint exercises involved, it's not really that beneficial to say, okay, you're going to do your bicep curls at 67% of your one rep max. Well, what the hell is that number? Mm -hmm. So instead, uh, what uh, Brad Schoenfeld recommends and what a lot of folks recommend in the industry and what I prefer to talk about aside from just RPE, because we use that a lot in our programs, is reps in reserve. 
So before I dive into reps in reserve and what that means, RIR, you need to note, or we need to note that in general, because I think there's a lot of this out there too, you don't need to train to all out failure to achieve benefit, right? There's actually super limited research in training to failure and hyper hypertrophic responses to that. So you don't need to go to failure on every set to get big. That's definitely not supported by any of the researchers out there. Now, there is a time and place to go to failure, but it's not necessary on every single set to achieve like your maximal benefit. Now, back to RIR. So RIR stands for reps in reserve. And in resistance training, like specifically hypertrophy training, I think it's one of the best methods to monitor your intensity. So let's look at a, uh, an example here would be like your typical three-set format. Let's say you're doing three sets of 12 reps. Maybe on the first set, you have an RIR of two, meaning when I finish rep 12, when I crank out my 12th rep, let's talk, maybe it's dumbbell bench press. When I set those dumbbells down, I should feel as if, wow, I could have probably only done two more before I hit failure, before the tank was completely empty. Then I rest the recommended amount of time, which we're going to get to next. Then on my second set, maybe the RIR is prescribed at one. So when I finish my 12th rep on that second set, I'm thinking, holy shit, my arms were shaking. I, don't, I could have maybe got one more. And then my final set of three, when I finished 12, that was it. I didn't have anything left in the tank. So that's an easy application of what RIR would look like in your training sets. Overall, usually two to three reps in reserve is a good recommendation for people who are doing a hypertrophy program. And then as you become more advanced, you can decrease that down to zero or one during different phases of your training program. But overall, if you're in that two to three range, you're probably in a good spot uh, in your training program. Okay, that makes sense. So then with what you said about the ideal amount of rest, would it be like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, even like 90 seconds? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And so I think with programs, at least that I've seen, it's all over the board. You'll see some programs that are eight sets of eight with 30 seconds of rest. And we've done that before. Um, some have 60 seconds rest, some are 90, some are two minutes plus. Here's what the evidence suggests. The evidence suggests that somewhere in that 60 to 120 seconds, so a minute to two minutes, provides an adequate amount of time for recovery between sets to generate that hypertrophic response. Meaning if you're resting less than 60 seconds, there's a time and place for that, but you're likely not recovered enough to then hop back into the next set and put forth the effort that you need to put forth to ensure that that stimulus remains the same and that you generate that hypertrophy or that hypertrophic response. So anywhere from 60 to 120 seconds is typically the sweet spot when you're talking about recovery between these, these sets in a hypertrophy program. Okay. That's uh, helpful. So let's summarize that up. Yeah. So for the number of sets, we're looking at 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. I can't emphasize that enough. Per week, not training session. 10 sets, 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. Rep range, there's a full spectrum. You can go from, you know, six all the way to 30 reps, but there is merit to that six to 12 rep range. Again, 
spend time in the rep ranges that you don't usually spend time in. That's going to give you the most bang for your buck. Incorporate various rep ranges through your program. In terms of your RIR or your intensity, that reps in reserve, anywhere from zero to three is going to work for most folks, uh, depending on what phase of training you're in. Rest between sets, somewhere from 60 to 120 seconds in that range. And one thing I didn't mention that I do want to bring up is I've had a couple questions from some of our clients is, how long should I rest between exercises? Because I always write down how long should I rest between sets for, for our people. But in terms of between exercises, what I tell folks is that I don't want you to be that concerned about how much time you're resting between exercises. If it's a minute, cool. If it's two minutes, great. If it's five minutes, maybe you had a lot of shit to clean up at the station you were at before you moved to the next thing. As long as you're not going over, getting on Instagram, scrolling for 10 minutes, coming back, grabbing a drink of water, talking to your buddies on the bench press, whatever it is, if, as long as you're not doing that shit and you're just staying in the zone, you're being methodical, you're moving from exercise to exercise, I truly don't care and I don't believe it has an impact whether you're resting a minute or four minutes between those exercises. So don't get caught up in, in all of that and get lost in the sauce in terms of all these numbers. Just move from one exercise to another with a purpose. That's all you need there. Okay. Perfect. Love it. Um, well, let's talk about exercise order then. Yes. What is the ideal exercise order? Yeah. So I think you can probably relate to this because back in school, I think we were always taught because here's the funny thing. You go to exercise science, right? As your undergrad or you go into your master's for strength and conditioning or something like that. And you spend all this time talking about physiology and chemistry and anatomy the thing you don't spend virtually any time doing is program design. They don't really teach you how to do that very effectively, and you don't spend a ton of time on that. And really what they do is they give you a quick little rundown of, hey, if you're making a program, start with the multi-joint exercises and will your way down to the single-joint exercises. Yeah. And that's really all they tell you in those programs. <laughs> and it's a little more complicated than that, but in general... That strategy does work. Start with the largest muscle groups, which typically require compound exercises or multi-joint exercises, and then work your way down to single joint or isolation type exercises. Now, there is merit to prioritizing underdeveloped muscle groups, meaning maybe your, your arms, your biceps and triceps are lagging behind. You're, you're having trouble getting those to quote unquote grow. There is merit to putting those types of exercises at the beginning of the session so that you can place greater emphasis on them and train them at maximal intensities to hopefully induce a, a more potent response. And then from there, work your way into the rest of your training session. So if you do have underdeveloped muscle groups, that's a strategy that you can utilize. But in general, you're looking at compound multi-joint exercises down to isolate or excuse me, single joint uh, isolation type exercises or what a lot of people will call accessory work in the CrossFit world because they don't want to admit that they do curls and tricep extensions. <laughs> right. But that's, yeah. that's your general order. Okay. That makes sense. So then what would be the best training split? I know you mentioned Ooh. that it, it could, there's a wide range, but yeah. So splits are something that I think it really now there there are basic foundational principles that I think you need to follow. We're not going to get into those, but in general, you'll see people come out with all kinds of training splits, and everybody claims that theirs is the next best 
thing and it's going to generate the most growth and get you the physique that you want. But really it comes down to personal preference of your trainer or your coach, right? Everybody has go-to splits that they love and they believe generate the most response and they have seen success with their clients. So rather than trying to tell you which one is truly the best, because there's no concrete answer to that, I figured we'd just share some of our favorites uh, and base it off of the number of days per week, the actual training frequency, so that you can get an idea of how they change based on the number of days that you're exercising. Does that make sense? Perfect. Love it. Um, so our favorite for training two days per week. So if you're only training two days per week, which if you're just starting out, that's awesome. It's better than nothing. But that's really not enough unless it's paired with additional exercise you need to be training three to five days per week in most circumstances. But mm -hmm. if for some reason you are only training twice per week. So sorry if you heard Coda. That was our golden retriever. And he just made a weird sound. What was that? I don't know. I've never heard him do that before. He makes a lot of weird noises, but that was definitely <laughs> odd. So if you heard that, that's Coda. Uh, anyway, if you're training two days per week, here's the deal. It's going to break down into two full body sessions. The way we would structure it is day one would be your first total body session, meaning you're going to hit probably some type of power-based movement, strength, something for the anterior posterior chain, and then some accessory like press, pulling and pressing work. Day two is going to be rest. Day three is going to be rest. And then day four, we're going to go with another total body session. Now, you're, you might be thinking, okay, they're both total body. Are they going to be the exact same? They could be, but... What I try to do when I'm creating programs is that first session, it'll probably look like power-based movement, some kind of squat, some kind of posterior chain exercise for the lower body, and then a pull and a press, and maybe some type of core exercise. So six exercises at the most. Then that second day, it's still going to be similar, but it's probably going to look more like a strength-based movement, then some kind of uh, squatting or hinging, followed by another posterior chain type exercise and then the pulling and the pressing at the end of the session are going to be in a different plane meaning if day one we are pulling and pressing in a horizontal plane we're going to pull and press in the vertical plane that that second session that way you're getting exposed to those different angles so to speak uh, now if you're training three days per week my favorite go-to split for that is day one being back and biceps day two rest day three lower body, and then day four, rest, and day five, chest, shoulders, triceps. I think you can get the most out of that split. I think it's the most efficient and effective if you're looking at time because when you're training back, biceps are a secondary mover. When you're training chest, your shoulders and triceps are secondary movers. And so you're really hitting the muscle groups in a natural way that allows you to essentially train multiple muscle groups per exercise and move through a little more efficiently. And then lower body, you can really crank it out on that, on that middle day there. Now, if you're training four days per week with that, this is our favorite go-to split day one chest and back. Who doesn't love a good push pull? Gotta love it. No one. No or one. Everyone. everyone. Everyone loves a good push pull. I was saying no one does. <laughs> no one hates it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Everybody loves push pull. So chest and back on day one. Day two, lower bilateral. What I mean by that is all the movements that you're doing for your lower body involve both legs. 
So lower bilateral work. Day three is going to be rest. Day four, shoulders and arms, the gland muscles. Get out, get out the cutout, babe. Cut out, cut off. Get the cutoff out. Put it on. Go in there. Maybe it's a cutoff flannel even and oh, hit those gosh. gland muscles, right? Uh, but day, what, what was that? Day, uh, I lost my train of thought here. That was day four. And then day five, lower again. So another lower body session, this time unilateral. Unilateral work is something that gets left out a lot, especially in the bodybuilding world. So making sure that you're training one leg at a time, getting unilateral training in is super important. And it also helps address deficiencies and, and can help promote some hypertrophic responses there. Okay. Now, lastly, training five days per week. I have three splits for this because I love them all and I couldn't decide. Ooh. So if you're training five days per week, which is almost everybody who follows our programs, at least for the, the preset tracks, build, move, and perform. Here's the first one. So five days per week, day one, lower body. Day two, chest and triceps. Day three, back and biceps. You're going to rest on the fourth day. On day five, you're going to do lower body again. There's no specification as to uh, you know unilateral, bilateral, anterior, posterior. It's just full lower body again. Day six, chest, back, shoulders, and arms. Whoa. And day seven, rest. Now, here's the reason that this split, I love it, and it's a little different than what you'll typically see. We talked earlier that you need 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week to achieve that hypertrophic response, right, or to get a maximal benefit. Well, if you're only training your chest and... Uh, let's say back once per week. It depends how many exercises you put in the in the session. It shouldn't be that many. Like four to six is plenty. And if you're do only doing three to four sets, depending on what it looks like, you might not hit that mid range of like 15 sets per week or even the 20 sets per week. So if you're trying to get higher volume, you're going to need to train those muscle groups again later on in the week. And what we do on this split is we take chest, back, shoulders, and arms, and we put them into that sixth day, and we do less sets per exercise. So the volume is lower on that day, but it's still adding to the overall weekly volume and pushing us toward 15, 20 sets per week to create a greater uh, stimulus. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Love it. And so that's our first split. Again, day one, lower. Two is chest and triceps. Day three is back and biceps. Resting on day four. Day five is lower. And day six is chest, back, shoulders, and arms. A little bit of everything. And then day seven is rest. Now, another five-day split that you can follow. Day one, chest and triceps. Day two, lower anterior, meaning the front of your body. So only quadriceps, essentially, when you're talking about lower body. Then day three is back horizontal pulling only plus biceps day four is rest day three is chest shoulders and arms so we're hitting chest again there and then adding shoulders and arms into it as well and then day six is lower posterior so only glutes and hamstrings plus back but we're pulling in the vertical plane so a little more of an intricate complicated split there but something that we really love that creates a really balanced program. So again, that was day one, chest and triceps. Day two, lower anterior only. Day three was back, pulling in the horizontal plane, plus biceps. Day four is rest. Day five, chest, shoulders, and arms. So that means biceps and triceps. 
And then day six was lower posterior, so glutes and hamstrings only, followed by back pulling only in the vertical plane. Glutes, hamstrings, and calves. Oh, and calves, sorry. We don't do a lot of calf work, but yes, <laughs> calves are included in that as well. Uh, every now and then we'll throw we some calf calves. work in there. I, well, that's because I have baby calves. <laughs> if you have baby calves like me, you need to train them more than we put them in our program. you got to crush those things. Uh, anyway, then the last split we have here for you guys, another five-day split. Day one, lower. Day two, back. Day three, chest and biceps. Resting on day four. Day five, shoulders, triceps. Day six, lower body. So a lot of these splits, you'll notice we hit lower body twice. It's because your lower body is a lot of mass. It is a lot of musculature down there, and it can take the beating. You need to train it a couple times per week. At least we believe so. Uh, so all of those splits, hopefully it gives you an idea about your program. Maybe it you know, sparks the... The idea that you need to be training in a different style, a different method, you need to find a new program, or maybe it validates the fact that your program is kick-ass and it's working for you. But whatever it is, hopefully you can take something from this episode today and apply it to your fitness journey because, again, we took all the research that's out there and boiled it down to a few simple, practical points that you can, again, either validate your program or search for a program that's going to be effective, knowing that that's credible information. Again, that doesn't mean drop sets, supersets, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the uh, triphasic training, all of these different methods. It doesn't mean they don't work. There's just not a ton of research to support the actual, uh, the results that are being produced from those types of programs. So don't shy away from a program just because you see drop sets, supersets, and different styles and methods of training. Those may have merit in those situations but in general this is what the evidence suggests everything we covered in this episode so use this as the foundation and then from there like i said be a grown-ass adult and make your own decisions absolutely and if you listen to this and you're like oh i think i might need a new program our build program you base everything off of this that's right build is a hypertrophy program it's yes. a physique based program yep so Look if you're good feel great that's it. Workouts that build you up, not beat you up, baby. So if you are interested in trying out the build program, our hypertrophy-based program, our aesthetic-based program, send us a DM, shoot us an email. You can send us a private message on Facebook, whatever it really takes to get a hold of us, but we'll hook you up with a free week. So if you're looking to change your physique, you're looking for muscle growth, you're obsessed with hypertrophy and all the hashtag gains, send us a message. We will hook you up with a free week so that you can check out how we structure our programs and why so many people are obsessed with the build program, uh, you know, within the ballistic performance regimen yeah, or arsenal, I should say. Absolutely. Sweet. Ash, anything else? No, I thought this was super useful, like helpful. Love it. Informative. Super informative. Bookmark this one. Save it. Copy yes. the link. Share it with your friends. But uh, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, as always, we love you. And until next time, have a fantastic week. Bye, y'all. Hey, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Whether this is your first time tuning in or if you're with us each and every week, we cannot thank you enough. Please, if you enjoy what you hear, please, please, please head over to Apple, leave a five-star review. You can drop a comment in there as well. But that is how we reach more people and change more lives through this platform. So 
Whether it's your first time or you tune in every single week, please head over and leave that review just as a small token of your appreciation. We would love it so much. Guys, if you don't follow us across all of our other platforms, be sure to get on Instagram. That's where we spend the majority of our time and put out the most content. Get on TikTok. There are literally hundreds of videos on there, specifically fitness-oriented videos to help you on your fitness journey. Check out the YouTube channel and subscribe. As of right now, it's more of a movement library, but we are about to flip that thing on its head and really dive into some YouTube content. So that's something to watch out for. And if you don't read the blog, what the hell are you doing? We've been a little radio silent on that front, but the blog is where it's at. So be sure to get on our website and check that out. It's also in our Instagram bio. But guys, once again, we appreciate you so much. We love you. And until next time, be sure to have a fantastic week.